Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. Forgetfulness is, to put it lightly, irritating. When we're struggling to remember something we just read, like I practically do every day, or when we forget the reason we walked into a room like I did this morning. This is normal, but this is also normal as we age. And that's the problem because some of us are aging our brain a lot faster. And I'm wondering, how the heck do I slow this aging process down? In fact, how do I stave off dementia and keep my brain alert and healthy? Joining me to give us those answers is Dr. Mark Milsey. Not only did he write an amazing book about this, but take a look at it on Amazon as we're talking, but he also studied biological chemistry and conducted research on genetics, cancer biology, and neuroscience. This episode is packed with information. You're probably going to want to bookmark certain sections, take notes, write down things. You're going to come back down to it. It's a great conversation. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a success magazine podcast. And I've been looking forward to this one for a few weeks now. Got a book, The Age-Proof Brain by Mark Milstein. Dude, I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you as well. All right. Very first question I've got for you. I want to boost my focus. Where do I start? Well, there's a couple of things you can do, but something to really think about is how well you're sleeping. Um, because when you sleep at night, that's if you think of your focus like a, a cell phone battery and like just like how you recharge your cell phone battery at night, your focus is recharged while you're sleeping. So it's very hard to have good focus, have optimal levels of focus if you're not getting a good night's sleep. Oh, I like that. All right. So this is why sometimes we get a little cranky when we haven't slept well. Right. How do we optimize our sleep then so that we can better focus? Well, one thing to think about that's a bit surprising is we actually prepare for every night's sleep the morning before that night. Um, and we can quickly and easily lose sight of this. But we realize that by getting outside in the morning for about 10 minutes, within about a half hour of waking up, there's this clock in our brain. And it's kind of like a timer. It starts a countdown that's going to help us sleep that night. And a lot of us, you know, in these times, we, we've either been working from home or we jump in a car, we go to work. Um, we're missing out on that 10 minutes of outside time. So that outside time helps wow. you sleep that night, which can help you get a better night's sleep, which in turn can help your focus. So sometimes it's these things that, you know, they're little simple things that we can do that aren't necessarily intuitive, but then they make sense when we, when we hear about them. But we're learning so much about how our brain works that these, these little things can be really, really effective. All right. So taking a walk, going hiking, little things like that. Even, you know, checking the mail, walking your dog, having your coffee on a balcony in the front yard, the backyard, just a little bit of that morning light stimulates the brain clock, starts the count on this can help you fall asleep at night. So you don't, you know, it doesn't have to be if a hike is great, but if if you don't have time or, or that's not in the cards that day, just a little bit of outside yeah. time can be great. That's awesome, man. I like it. Well, that, that was my main question. I was like, what, what, cause I, I'm all about focus. I'm like reading, reading, reading. Uh, all right. So 
The second part of the book that, that you have here, the age-proof brain, it says new strategies to improve memory, protect immunity, and fight off dementia, all, all which are extremely important. But I'm I'm wondering if well, I want to improve my memory. So I, I read a ton and and I take notes on it, but I st- I'm still I'm like, damn, I can't remember what what was that? How do I improve that aspect of my memory? Can I? Yeah, absolutely. So memory is a is practice. It's use it or lose it. And also being aware that just trying to remember something because we want to remember it is a bit tricky and challenging. So there's things that we can do to make the information stick a bit better. Um, so one is if you want to remember something, I see you writing things down right now. That's a that's actually one of the best things you can do because uh, part of our memory is what we call motor memory. And when you write things down, mm. you activate parts of the memory, uh, parts of motor memory, which, which help make it stick. Um, talking about things, saying them out loud. So, for example, you know, if you want to remember where you parked your car or put or, put your keys, simple things like saying it out loud. Think of your memory like a squirrel hiding nuts for the winter. The more mm-hmm. places you hide the nuts, the more likely you're going to find it. So once you say something out loud, you mm-hmm. actually store the memory in different parts of your brain <laughs> and you're more, li- more likely to find it. So the idea is, is that, you know, it's it's very easy to say, oh, I'm just going to remember this. But taking that extra step and say, you know, what? I'm going to say it out loud or I'm going to make a silly rhyme with it or I'm going to um, associate it with something. The more that we can take one more step, the more likely we are to remember something. Because our memory tends to work in a way where we tend to remember things that are silly, funny, scary, just you know, evolution. Our brain didn't really need to remember a password that wasn't important, but it had to remember something that was scary uh, or something that was funny uh, because those things oftentimes were important. Um, and so the idea is, is that take that extra step and 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 play with the information a little bit more are there any are there any more besides those three that you mentioned that the that the mind really gravitates to remembering silly funny scary anything along those lines that you can add yeah visual visualizing it uh and also another thing is smell you know, if you think about if you've ever walked by like a restaurant or you smell something and you're like, oh, all these memories come flooding back. Yeah. Um, so taking a moment, closing your eyes and just painting a picture in your mind, visualizing it or tying it to some sort of memory. You know, like, for example, like I could smell a certain type of soap and I like immediately am transported back to my grandparents' house. They had this type of soap in their bathroom and all these memories flood back. So sometimes, you know, these things we can say, oh, you know, people often say, but I I don't know, do I want to take that extra step? I just want to remember. But our brain really works a certain way where if you think about it, like we need to, we needed to remember smells. (laughs) That was important. We needed to remember people's faces, you know, names, not as important as faces. We want to know if someone's our enemy or our friend but we didn't really have to remember if their name was Ethan or Tom or something that wasn't nearly as important. So Not tapping into, yeah, t- tapping into how our brain works, it can be really helpful. That's so cool, dude. So maybe, maybe I should have like a different scent or smell or candle for every book I'm reading. So when I'm reading your book, I should have like something different. It's like, this is it. Yeah. So they actually, so people are like memory champions or people have this, these incredible memory skills they do this. They tap into this type of memory. Um, and, and, you know, we tend to think, oh, they're just 
they just have this incredible gift. Yeah, they have a talent, but what, if you actually scan their brain, they're activating parts of their brain involved with emotion. That's cool. Scent, visualization. Um, there's people they, we call them super agers, and they they have like the memory of someone who's 25 when they're like in their 80s, 90s, 100. When Whoa. they remember something, the part of their brain involved in visualizing it just lights up. Um, so you know, just they tap into these powerful parts of the brain. All right, so super age. Oh, well, I had a previous question. The squirrel, the squirrel thing. That was cool. Do you mention that in the book? I haven't read the book yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. The book is filled with. Um, I try to break it down in ways where it's like, oh yeah, I can remember that. That that makes sense. So it's it's. Trying I'm to gonna remember the squirrel thing. Now. I'm like, <laughs> damn, dude, that was that was good. All right, super agers. Yeah. What what can we do now? At because we have. We have entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, uh, people that just want to better their lives listening into our podcast here. And they're they're all different ages. But what can we do now where we're at that can help us become super agers? Anything that we can do now? Yeah, that that really is what the book is about, is that what can we do now? Um, so just to put some things in perspective, even starting at the age of 40, the brain starts to shrink about 5% every 10 years but we can slow that down. And so we don't want our brain to shrink because that can really devastate productivity, focus, memory. But by doing some really simple things each day, you know, optimizing our sleep, which we talked about, um, thinking about some things that we're eating, uh, exercise, and also underlying conditions, we tend to, you know, ignore some things that can really decay our brain. So diabetes 50 percent of the population either has pre-diabetes or diabetes it's one of our biggest risk factors for memory loss is we're just not talking about it no enough. way yeah hearing loss is another big one so the book goes through all these these things that you know that once or twice a year checkup where you just ask for some simple tests that often are overlooked that you can do these things now to preserve your brain today and years from now and the other thing that's important is in the last two years We've seen the rates of depression and anxiety skyrocket. Yeah. Depression before the pandemic went from about 8% to now about a recent study found 30% of the population is dealing with depression, mm -hmm. um, which is not only unbelievably concerning for now, Nuts. but but it raises the risk of dementia and memory loss years from now. So we want to take care of our mental health now. And you know, for entrepreneurs, lots of stress. Um navigating yeah. you know difficult times that taking time out to manage stress you know mindfulness optimizing sleep self-care is so important and, and realizing that we can be better tomorrow and the next day if we just take a little bit of time it doesn't have to be major changes that's a, a big thing in the book is that nobody wants to make major changes so what are the little things we can do that have you know some some powerful impacts dude yeah just the fact that you mentioned pre-diabetes diabetes health right health yeah. in general um, yeah that's tied significantly to memory loss then. Yeah. So besides age, our, our second greatest risk for developing memory loss is untreated diabetes. But if you treat the diabetes and you manage it, all that goes away. We see the same thing with sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. uh, we see it with, with heart issues, blood pressure, even blood pressure in your 30s, if it's elevated, can cause memory loss years later. So We've got really good treatments for these things. We just want to take advantage of them. Either it's you know some little lifestyle tweaks, or in some cases, if it needs to be, if it needs to be medication. But doing these things now, memory loss—the roots of memory loss happen 10, 20, 30, 40 years before you'd ever see it. So 
you want to you want to take care of these things now. Whoa. All right. So on the mental health side of things, right? Anxiety, depression. Yeah. How do we how do we begin to deal with that in small increments to get us back to not being so dude, 30% is pretty big. Yeah. Uh, how do we go away from this? How do we start reversing this? I think the first thing we do is we start talking about it and, and be aware of it. And, and I think the stigmas have been lessening, which is in the positive direction. But being aware that if mood changes, you know, if we're, if we're feeling overwhelmed, which is understandable based upon what's happened in the last couple of years, having the conversation of reaching out and getting help, that's one important message. And then also saying, if I can prioritize and optimize my self-care. So reaching out, we, we realize that isolation is a risk factor for memory loss, feeling isolated. So it doesn't mean that somebody's, somebody can be alone and not feel lonely, or they can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. But if you feel isolated, if you feel disconnected, um, really be aware that that's a risk factor for, for depression. It's a risk, fa risk factor for memory loss. And, and we want to want people to feel connected. So if it's whether it's a Zoom call or a, you know, a phone call or a way to meet in person, that in moving forward, yeah, yeah, text that that feeling connected is a powerful piece of this puzzle that we need to talk about. Dude, that that's a good step forward. I, I agree with you on that. How much how much of physical activity? So going back to what you said at the very beginning, where we're just taking a walk, walk the dog, have coffee outside. Yeah. How much of that helps mental health? Is there a connection? Yeah, absolutely. So we see that being outside in nature, taking a walk, these things are powerful. So just going back to memory loss, people who walk 30 minutes a day lower their risk of memory loss by 60%. Dude. <laughs> so that's as simple as it gets. And, and it doesn't have to it doesn't have to all be done at the same time. We there's some real science there that we realize that when we walk, we actually are sending signals to our heart and our brain that have them work better together. Um, the other idea is, is that we clearly see evidence that when people exercise, they can lower their risk of things like anxiety, depression, uh, it can be helpful as part of the treatment. It's not the only treatment in, in some cases, but it can be part of it. And so I, I always like to mention there was a study in Japan where people put a, a plant on their desk. They stared at the plant for two minutes and their stress hormone levels dropped. And so there's something about nature. There's something about, it doesn't have to, you don't have to go to a national park. You can just look at some some plants on your desk go to a backyard a local flower bed you know nature is nurturing and there's little things that we can do that can bring those stress levels down why is that why do you think that is uh you know we don't really know we we think possibly that it's it's in our dna it's maybe it's a mindful moment maybe it's it's a a, a, a disconnecting from technology you know technology is good but it can have a, a, a downside where we're constantly on feeling like we have to get back to people. Um, we're, we're distracted mm. all the time. And so that what can happen is we don't realize that we're feeling our stress levels reach a point where they're becoming overwhelming. So stress is good. I want to make that message clear. Yeah. Stress is actually really good for our brain. We just want to take a break from it and we want to make sure it's not too much too often. Stress actually keeps our brain youthful, but we just want to take a break from it. So being outside in nature is an opportunity to be in the present moment. And we have all these studies that show that a lot of our stress is worrying about the past or the future. But if we're right here in the moment, you know, taking in the, the flowers or the trees, you know, those old ideas, 
that it brings us to the present moment where stress levels tend to drop. And what they found in that Japanese study was looking at the plant was good. Spritzing it with a little bit of water was even better. So a little oh. bit of purpose, <laughs> a little bit of taking a little bit of uh, taking care, a little th- bit of, of that feeling of, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, I'm, I have a little bit of a purpose here. I'm taking care of something. All those things are, are also pieces of the puzzle to take care of our day to day mental health and long term brain health. Dude, what a what a great addition. Just that little tiny bit more and i think you're right when let's say we're taking a look at nature just the fact that we're looking and we we give our brain a slight break of of all of the the thoughts right and then we take it a step further and we're like spray 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 or cut or whatever we're doing right yeah 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 that that totally that makes a lot of sense man i like that so if i'm taking a look at at this and I'm I'm let's say in my family we have Alzheimer's and I want to have a better chance of not getting Alzheimer's. How do I prevent I know you talk because I read some of uh, I watched some of your YouTube videos. I read some of the stuff that was sent to me. It's all great by the way. I was like, dude, this I need more of this guy. Uh, so you mentioned some preventive measures, I think, for non-genetic Alzheimer's, right? Yeah. Let's go over those. But do you have any preventive measures for people that do have it in their family? Yeah. So something we want to want to talk about is that 95 to 99% of all cases of Alzheimer's, we, we say they're not strictly genetic. So even if you Whoa. see it in families, genes can raise or actually lower risk but they're not determinant in almost all cases 95 to 99% of cases massive it, man it's not strictly genes so you know people it's important to let people know this that we have so much more empowering uh, actions that we can take over this in almost all cases the types of alzheimers where it's strictly genetic those are usually early onset and it's tragic and we need more research there and there is some very good research being done But most of the Alzheimer's that we see, a vast majority, genes can play a role. But what we're seeing in the studies is that lifestyle trumps genes, that what we can do can raise or lower the risk based upon our our lifestyle factors. So that even if somebody has some genetic risk, they see see it might be running in the family. The things that we're learning, these comprehensive, you know, things throughout our life that we can take care of can bring that risk back down. So that's we want to get the word out that, you know, people live in fear. And instead of we want to replace that fear with, you know, some positive action steps that they can take, because in almost all cases, it's not destiny. Okay, so what are some things that we can do? Because we've interviewed, we've interviewed a couple of brain doctors, and also Jim Quick from the book Limitless, he talks about more, eat more blueberries, eat more of the stuff that's good for your brain, right? That, uh, what do you recommend when it comes to the food aspect of what yeah. we do. Does that have anything to do with Alzheimer's? Yeah. So we're, we're seeing that we used to say, we don't know, you know, we're not sure, but now we actually have very strong data that if people follow something like a mind diet, which is pretty much Mediterranean like diet. So they followed people for quite a while and people who eat this mind diet, which is pretty much whole natural foods. Most of the time, they can lower their risk of dementia, Alzheimer's anywhere from 35 to about 53%. So if they sort of follow the diet, the rates drop to about, you know, lower risk by, by about 35%. If they strictly follow a diet like this, it lowers by about 53%. And 
And we realize it makes a lot of sense because the Mediterranean mind-like diet, it's, it's heart healthy foods. You have to have a healthy heart to have a healthy brain. It's gut healthy. So inflammation in the gut can actually spread to the brain. And if we think about inflammation like a fire, we don't want our brain to be on fire. It, it just does severe damage. We're learning that Alzheimer's has this inflammation, inflammatory, it's almost an autoimmune condition in some cases. So we can put those fires out, lessen inflammation by what we eat. Some foods stoke the flames, some foods help put the fire out and really whole natural foods. Something really simple that I, I talk about in the book is that, you know, diet gets complex and confusing with every blurb and every, every, every blog and every, every, you know, tweet. So something just really simple is like next time you're going to eat something, if it's packaged, look at the ingredients. If it looks like a chemistry experiment gone wrong, <laughs> like, I can't even, I can't even pronounce this stuff. Like that's I the stuff we want to minimize. Cause we're learning like the additives, the preservatives, the ultra. Come on, don't talk, don't talk like that to me, dude. Now I have to look <laughs> at this shit and I'm like, what is the, what am I drinking? <laughs> so we want to minimize, you know, minimize those things. Think about, uh, you know, tea might be a better choice. Thinking like thinking like things like that more, more of the time. Um, like but that. uh, that's a really big step is just whole natural ingredients most of the time. We can go a long ways with that. All right. What, what should we consume then when it comes to thinking about this long term, right? If I want to reduce inflammation long term, what should I consume more of so I can replace the crap that I'm eating? Yeah, yeah. So think about salmon a couple times a week. Think about, as you mentioned, the the fruits, the vegetables, the the, the fiber. Um, what I like to say is look at your plate and try to see a rainbow, not Skittles, unfortunately, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, colorful fruits and vegetables. We always hear, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, this fruit, but really it's the mix. What we're actually seeing in the data is that just see colorful mixes of fruits and vegetables most meals, that's anti-inflammatory. They have this synergistic way they work together. So it's not all about one thing. Variety, make it fun, make it colorful. Um, and, and think about just limiting the processed things and, and whole natural foods most of the time. Lean meats, fibers, fruits, vegetables, most meals. And nuts too, I should say nuts. Nuts, yes, <laughs> yeah. definitely nuts, yes. Yeah. I did hear, you know what, uh, Jim Quick said that too. Yeah. Raise nuts, I got on the food side, do you do you see a correlation between the the foods that are being eaten right now in let's say you're in the United States? Yeah. Okay. Uh in the United States, Canada ish, and the depression level, anxiety level. Is there a correlation from the food we eat to how we feel and think and then and then our emotions go nuts? Yeah, we, we do see that. And and something just to put in perspective, not only is this a long-term issue with you know what you're eating, how do you protect your brain years from now? There was a study where they took people, a group of people, they fed them an ultra-processed version of a meal mm -hmm. and then a, a meal that was like a whole natural version of it without all the additives and preservatives. And they gave them a memory test like an hour later. And okay. the people who had the, the version that was not ultra-processed, they did better on the memory test. They brought them back like a few months later, they switched it, you know, so you, if you had the ultra processed meal, now you're going to get the, the, the more natural whole natural meal. And again, didn't matter. 
it didn't matter that you switched the people, the people who ate the whole natural meal, they perform better on the test. So Dude. the food that we're eating is getting down in our gut and bacteria that's down there that's good for us breaks down the food. It releases chemicals that get into the bloodstream and make their way to the brain and they impact how we're feeling. And so the science is like, oh, wow, that's amazing. But we all know that what you eat, <laughs> you know, we I'm sure we all felt those things were like I had this meal and I felt I was on my game. And I had ate another meal and I was like, oh, I feel like I need to go take a nap or I just feel like I don't feel like I'm at my not fueling myself in the optimal way. So the science backs up something that I think we can feel as well. Dude, and so you're telling me we are what we eat. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I say one of the things I say in the book is your brain is made up of what you eat, because the reason people say salmon, omega threes, avocados, nuts is your brain cells have this coating on them that makes them fire electricity fast. It's kind of like a wire. If you don't have that plastic okay. coating, you can't send the signal. Uh -huh. And we don't make that stuff on our own. We have to take it in through our food. And so as we get older, that wire tends to fray and decay. So we've got to eat the food that replaces the wire and keeps keeps the coating on there. It's the omega-3. It's kind of like a healthy fat. That's why healthy fats are so good for the brain. Allows the signal to send fast so we can think fast. So we no can way. focus, be productive. So it's it's... You know, we want to be successful. We want to be the best version of ourselves. And we want to, we, the way we do that is by eating foods that keep our brain coated <laughs> in the, in the, in the coating that keeps the this electrical signal moving quickly. On the coating, is it just omega threes or are there omega sixes that do that too? Or what's the difference? Yeah. So omega three, um, we get a lot of omega six in our diet already through things like corn. Corn's been put into our diet. Omega six can be good. Um, we just want it. There's a there's a balance there where we see in general people in the Western world, as you mentioned, are getting more omega six and omega three. We believe omega three is really helpful. So that's the idea of just you know taking a moment, saying, "Am I getting the nuts, the avocados, and the fatty fish, um, things like that?" Because we just want to make sure it's not all coming from things like corn, which is more omega six, which can be good. We just want to make sure we're getting some of those omega threes in there. Dude, I love that. That's awesome. All right. So what are you? What are you studying right now that you're like, whoa, that you didn't write into the book that you're that you're a little surprised at and you want to share with people? Because I'm I've taken a ton of notes already. That's a good question. I mean, I think that the correlation I did touch upon it in the book because right as the book was being finished, this was coming out. But it's that correlation between mental health now and risk of dementia down the road. Mm. Uh, we didn't know that, uh, you know, that we didn't really see that really strong connection. And I think based upon where we are right now, we want to be careful that we're not setting ourselves up for, you know, we're seeing it after the pandemic, we're seeing people struggling with their mental health. And yeah. so we want to take care of this now, because we see with brain health, if we do things now, we can, we can not only protect and, and boost our day to day mental health, but we want to be thinking about 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. That if we do it now, we can bring the risk factors down. So I think that's something that I just want to want to talk about, want to make it part of the conversation, so that we realize that this is important. Interesting, man. Yeah, I, I can see that in the world that I come from, business, marketing, all, all that. You 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 hear a lot. Uh, Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn always used to say, "It's like you're, you're an average of the five people that you hang around with." Right. Mm -hmm. And how. Is there a correlation to that when it comes to health, yeah. mental health, and the brain? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So it's, you know, if you're around people who are physically active, you're more likely to be physically active. You're more likely to go on a walk with them, play a sport, which are really good things for your brain. Um, if you're around people who make you feel good, you know, at its essence, feeling like you're being heard, feeling like you have a support system, feeling like you can trust the people around you. Those aspects are critically important for our mental health. It's not the, you know, it's not the number of friends or followers that we have. It's the quality of those relationships and the relationships that we have with people that make us feel like they're there in the, the, the best of times to, to be there for us. And they're there for us in the difficult times. That's when our brain is, is at its optimal levels or at least able to, you know, get through the difficult times. So critically important also for out with people and they're eating certain things, we're more likely to eat those types of <laughs> types of foods. True. Uh, yeah. And we're more likely to take part people who are, you know, living a certain type of lifestyle. We're more likely to mimic it we, we tend to do things with the people who are, who are around us. So that's so true, man. I'm taking notes up right now as you're talking about the, the important items that rise to the top when we're trying to increase our memory and age proof our brain, like your book says. Yeah. And so far I'm like food, right? Movement, some type of movement, right? Yeah. Like working out, walking, something. Yeah. Like. And now I've got people. I've got people on here too. Yeah. That's uh, huge. People are, people is a big, the people, again, not the number of people, but the quality people, the quality relationships matter. What else am I missing besides these three? Sleep. I'll come right back to sleep. Try sleep is sleep. Cause it's, and I'll, when you ask the question, what's something that I, it's not in the book. Um, something I just read a study a couple of days ago that, Something that is in the book is about your bedroom, the lights in your bedroom at night. And, and Pete Sampras figured this out before any brain scientist. When he would play tennis on the tour, you know, 15 years ago, he would take black tape and he would cover up every cover up every light source in his room because if he slept in real darkness, not, you know, there's all those little lights that are in our bedroom. They disrupt the brain to get into the deepest stages of sleep where you actually refresh your brain, you clean out waste and toxins. You do all the things you need to do while you're sleeping so you're your best version the next day. He made his room really dark. He felt better. He played better. He had more energy. He was more focused. 15 years ago, we said, oh, that's odd. <laughs> now we know he was onto something. Look around your room tonight. Is there a little bit of light coming from a charging phone or you know, a streaming device that's off? We used to think that was all silly and insignificant. We now know it can disrupt our brain's ability to get into the deepest stages of sleep where we wash out trash, waste, toxins, keep our brain clean, which is youthful. The idea is, is that what we're learning is that even little bits of light can really throw off the quality of our sleep. So, you know, entrepreneurs, every minute of sleep counts. Sometimes you're not going to get them the number of hours you want, but you can make it more effective. You can make the time spent more effective. And one way to do that is just make your room really dark, cover your eyes with an eye mask, unplug some things that makes the hours more effective because those little bits of light that we think, oh, you know, I'm sleeping, I'm fine. They actually check people's blood pressure when they slept in these little bits of low light. They check their insulin, their blood pressure, their blood sugar, their, their, their heart rate, all these things, they all, they all were thrown off throughout the night. And so the idea is because your brain is thinking, why is there this light? Is there something wrong? You know, what's going on? 
it, it does hasn't adjusted to, to this modern way that we sleep. So something really simple, practical is just make your room a little bit darker, make those hours count because understandably as an entrepreneur, there's going to be nights where you might not get the number of sleep of a number of hours of sleep that you that you're hoping to get, but make the hours count. Dude, we interviewed Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep yeah. doctor, and we were going over sleep and how important it was. So I'm glad that you're bringing it back up. What have you seen is what most people need as far as hours to sleep through the night? And, and do naps matter? Yeah, so it's pretty, it's a range. It's somewhere between seven and nine. And a, a way that you can kind of gauge it is take a couple nights, go to bed when you're tired, lay off things like caffeine and alcohol, put your devices, you know, the, the cell phones, the tablets away about an hour before bed. Just go to bed when you're tired and wake up without an alarm. And that will help you figure out your number of hours, you know, over the course of a couple of days. The first day you might just be adjusting, but do it on a weekend or a little quick vacation. That'll give you that your number of hours that's very specific to you. And what's good about that is then you can have it in mind. Oh, yeah, that's my number of hours that I that I need that my brain is telling me I need. And then you can shoot for that most days. But it's somewhere between seven and nine for most people. Some people can do less than seven. It's just a really small percentage of our population. And most people are just tired <laughs> and exhausted. <laughs> so uh, a, way, awesome. a way to a way to catch up, though, is a nap. Naps can be great, but keep them short, 30 minutes or less. Um, if you've ever woken up from a nap and you have that awful groggy feeling and you feel just terrible, the nap very likely went into something called deep sleep. So 30 minutes or less, you stay in something called the lighter stages of sleep. You wake up feeling refreshed. A lot of pro athletes, they set a timer before the big game. They make sure their nap is 30 minutes or less. They wake up feeling energized, refreshed. Very good, very good uh, midday. Take a quick nap. If you're not a napper, just think about closing your eyes for like a few minutes, just even five minutes. Studies have shown it lessens the risk of burnout. I like to think of it like Dude. my computer screen. I tend to get a lot of windows open and then all of a sudden things don't work. I call IT. They only have one piece of advice. What's the only thing they can tell you pretty much? Restart your computer. <laughs> yeah. Turn it off. Turn it back on. So it's very similar with the brain. There's there's points in the day where we just need to shut it down, close your eyes for a few minutes. If you want to take a nap, that's great. If you just want to close your eyes, just get a restart going. Second half of the day is going to be stronger. Dude, I like that advice. I mean, we could literally just restart our day by just taking a quick nap. Like, oh, your day's going to hell? Take a yeah. nap. <laughs> Yeah, or just close your eyes. Just set a timer five minutes. Just close your eyes. That's like a restart. Dude, all right. So on sleep now. Yeah. And aging of the brain. How important then is breathing? I mean, yeah, kind of like a stupid question. No, it's a good question. Breathing is important, but I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. the consistent deep breaths. Yeah. Now, not these little short breaths that a lot of us are just breathing all the time. How important is that in our sleep and in aging the brain? In critically important. So we, we we see now that you know breathing is a is a is an opportunity to bring the right amounts of oxygen to the brain. So even little dips in oxygen can can impede focus, um, the ability to remember things, short term and long term. But something also to be aware of is that where we see breathing is is really important is is relaxing and calming ourselves down. Um, mm. If you're focused on the breath going in and out of your mouth or your nose, you're in the present moment. 
and that's a that's what mindfulness is. That's why they do breathing exercises yeah, for mindfulness yeah. because it allows us to be right here in this moment. There's other ways to do it. It doesn't have to be a breathing exercise, but it's one way to do it. A lot of our stress, as I said, is in the past and the future. You focus on nothing but your breath. That can be really helpful and can be done anywhere, anytime. You know, I was watching the the playoffs last night, the baseball playoffs, and you yep. just see it constantly. I mean, the, the pitcher on the mound, the batter, they are just constantly slowing down by taking deep breaths. They are putting themselves and they'll, they'll say like the moment if I'm not pitching well, the moment got away from me, things sped up. And so it's just a way to slow things down. It's a way to things to, to, it's a way to get in the present moment and just be in a moment of clarity and focus. And what a good point on the playoffs, man. You do see that. You see the pitchers right before they pitch. Yeah. A lot of deep breath. Deep breath. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just, I'm now I'm playing it back in my head. Interesting. Yeah. And, the, and the batter too. You just, you just see that they step out of the box. You just, they've been trained to do this because they, because it, it can be so effective and we can just, we can do it in our day-to-day -day life in those moments where things are speeding up. Before we respond to a nasty comment on social media. Yes, yes. <laughs> Before we hit reply, uh, you know that old thing, take 10 deep breaths. There's some real brain science there before we uh, say oh, something that's hard to take back. Dude, that's so good. That's so true. All right, do you suggest or do you wear any like uh, devices that help you maybe monitor more of your uh, important health items? You know, I, I personally, I've tried some of them and, uh, right now what I do is my wife wears one. <laughs> and so I track my steps through her because it allows me, I know that if I'm going for a walk with her, it's time that we can spend time. And then I say to her, how many steps was that? Um, so that it's kind of a joint activity, but for me, um, you know, they can be helpful. We want to be careful with those devices in terms of sleep. Um, and, and other aspects of our health that they we, we can't be super confident in their accuracy. They're more infotainment, like they can tell us, they can be motivating. They can say, you know, I want to prioritize my sleep. I want to learn more about it. But we want to be careful that people aren't taking those numbers and and worrying because sometimes those numbers aren't accurate. Sometimes people are, they can't sleep because the thing on their wrist or the thing they're wearing on their finger is telling them information that is not necessarily accurate. If people have a, an issue, take, you know, one step further, make the appointment with the physician just to check in on those things. But what That's I do cool. like is the, um, I like the tracking the steps just because it's, it's a way for me to be like, you know, I'll set that time aside with my wife or my kids and take that walk. And then I can kind of keep track in my head of, am I getting enough each day? Cause the days can slip by and you can, cannot get that, that, that walking in that, that you need to. That's true, man. That's very true. As far as your book, um, The Age-Proof Brain, that second part to it, the new strategies to improve memory, protect immunity, and fight off dementia. We didn't touch on immunity directly, but now that I'm talking to you, I'm thinking you're going to say sleep, right? <laughs> sleep. Am I wrong? Or what? where do we look at for immunity? Yeah. So sleep, sleep is when you fight off colds and viruses. Um, you can basically, they did a study where they sprayed people in the face with basically the common cold. These were uh -huh. volunteers <laughs> and yeah. then half of them got a good night's sleep and half of them were woken up throughout the night. And the people who got a good night's sleep, most of them didn't get sick. And the people who were woken up throughout the night, most of them did get sick. So when we're sleeping is when we fight off colds and viruses, but what we eat is important too. Um, we want to be aware of that. And then those underlying conditions. I mean, we've seen it powerfully demonstrated in the last couple of years that if we can optimize our heart health, 
diabetes, insulin resistance, gut health, um, heart health, all of those things are critically important for our immune system. Um, and our gut health is really one of the most powerful aspects of it is that a lot of our, our immune function inflammation starts in our gut. So being aware of that is important and that plays a role in, you know, what we're eating and, and, and it's all sort of a connected puzzle. Yeah, I could see that, man. I could see that. Mark, thanks for being on. Where do people follow you or find out more? Oh, that's nice. It was great conversation, great questions. I really appreciate it. Thanks, really man. enjoyed talking to you. My website is drmarkmilstein.com or I'm on a lot of the social platforms now at, at Dr. Mark Milstein um, and uh, giving updates there on latest health tips, you know, new studies, fun little things on, we can do each day. Are you on TikTok? I just, just started and I'm starting to put uh, this last week. I started talking about dreams on TikTok. Dude. Um, and so ju literally just went on there because my kids are on there. And I was like, oh, and just people are writing in, what does this dream mean? And wh why are we having this dream? It's been fun to answer some of those questions on TikTok. I'm going to fall. Dude, you're going to kill it on TikTok, man. Oh, I, I just started. So I, I literally just a couple of days ago, but I'm, I'm, uh, uh, it, it's a, it's a fun way to get some, you know, cool science out there. Oh, there you are. I got you. I got you. All right. I'm going to follow you. Dr. Mark Milstein. Uh, I'm going to share yours on there. Dude, with, with what we just talked about, you're going to do amazing there. Yeah. Everyone, pick up Mark's book, The Age Proof Brain. I'm sure you can find it everywhere. And I'm excited to read it. Mark, I have not read it yet. Uh, but talking to you even made me more excited to read it. So thank you for being on. Thank you. So great to talk to you. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.